Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. Helping you take your next step with Jesus. That's what we're all about here, Allie. Do you, have you ever counted your steps? Have you ever worn a, some sort of a tracker? It's funny that you say, oh, steps. I thought you were meaning steps with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Do you still have your step tracker? Oh, I do. And uh, my daughter wears one too, so she's always uh, trying to compete with me. That's which great. It's never even a competition. Just, Mom, how, how are your steps doing? Oh, I'm somewhere around uh, 3,400. I have 11,000. <laughs> it's always way more. So well, mom doesn't take nearly as many steps in a day as my active 13-year-old. All we need you to take today is one giant step. Just one. And we've got some content that will help you do that. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. I don't know that epidemic is too big a word for this. Uh, we have a problem in the church today, Allie, and it's with wayward kids, mm. adult kids that have been raised in good homes, not perfect homes. There's no such thing as a perfect home. Had at one time acknowledged Christ or been involved or been involved in youth group. I mean, I'm hearing it everywhere. How many texts do we get along these lines? Many, 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 many. texts. You Hundreds. see it. You see it in friends, and maybe that's your story. Maybe that sounds familiar. You raised your child in a Christian home. You sent them to youth group. You sent them to the youth camp. They seemed like they were doing okay. Now they are an adult child, and your heart is broken because they've walked away from the Lord. It's heartbreaking. It really is. The question is, what do we do about it? And oftentimes we think there's no hope, but there is. David, there's hope, isn't there, my man? Absolutely. We have God on our side, and we have David Clark's clear plan of action. <laughs> I love that. I, you know what? I love that. Before we get into a plan of action, speak to the broken heart out there. I mean, there are so many parents that are like, David, I didn't do everything right. I did a lot of things right. I've even acknowledged what I've done wrong, and they're gone. You must see this a lot, David. It is just heartbreaking, and the key is to realize it's not your Part of my plan is, in fact, forgiving yourself and asking the prodigal for forgiveness so we can get that off the stage and really begin to address their sin. But it is just awful. You pour your life, your literal life into these kids, and it means the world to you. And they've turned their back on God, and they're doing God knows what, and it's not good. Dr. David Clark is our guest this morning. He's a Christian psychologist, speaker on YouTube, podcast, and we're featuring a book today. The title says it all, Adult Children Who Break Your Heart, Bringing Your Prodigal Back to God and Back to You. Uh, First, let's get a scope of how big of an issue. I'm not asking for stats here, uh, but do you see this as truly an epidemic? Give us anecdotally what you're seeing. I hesitate to use the word pandemic because I'm sick of that, but it is a big honking deal. It's massive. It really parallels the rise of narcissism in our society, which Satan is fueling, of course, because prodigalism, which is my own word, is a form of narcissism, and it is everywhere. Pause there. What do you you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Dive there a little bit more. Oh, well, yeah, it's all about me. I'm going to do things my way, not God's way. But it's at a world-class, epic level of selfishness. Oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much one and the same thing. If you've got an adult prodigal, you've got a narcissist. I, I don't care what you taught me. I, I'm disrespecting you. I'm dishonoring God, and I don't care. There is no empathy. There is no conscience. These are Christian kids. They say they know Jesus. They could care less. They might even go to church and sit in the back row, maybe the front row. They're doing whatever the heck they want, and there is no, boy, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Uh Uh-uh. I've talked to these kids, looked right in their eyes. They could care less. Yeah, and this is, oh, David, 
This is a problem because from my vantage point, a lot of these kids never were regenerated. They never have been transformed by the power of God. So there's that. There's some that are transformed and derailed, but the, the vast majority never got the fact that the tomb is empty. And that narcissism, isn't it often a result of just the fact that we're born enemies of God and we've never been reconciled to the Savior? Based on behavior, oh yeah, I wonder about their salvation. You know, Jesus' parable of, of the soil and the seed, that's what we're looking at. They don't get it. Yeah. They, they might believe in a God, but again, and this is what's happening in, in America, especially across the world too. I will tell you what God is like and, and what my relationship with him is like and what he'll require of me. <laughs> that's, who cares about your dumb opinion, Timmy or Susie, but, that, but they believe it. Dr. David Clark, our guest this morning, before we get to solutions, I wonder how much of this follows what we're seeing in terms of changing views on morality, changing views on sexuality. Do you think that there's a correlation between a radical shift in what culturally we believe to be right and true? Is that what's taking so many young people, young adults off track? I think it's a huge part of it. When you take God out of everything, out of the universities, out of the schools on all levels, out yeah. of government, yeah. out of every, this is what you get. It's, okay, what do I think? Well, who cares what you think? God has spoken. Yeah, the cultural thing is a massive, massive tidal wave pushing these kids out to sea. Yeah. Okay, uh, when we get back, Dr. David Clark, our guest here again, uh, the name of the book is Adult Children Who Break Your Heart. And we have a lot of broken hearts and we get that, guys. And we're here, really, we, we love you. And we want to see you get a victory. When we get back, David, let's walk through some of the degrees of waywardness and how we address these kids and what can a parent do? I know you're big for drawing lines in the dirt in love. How do we handle these wayward kids? More with David Clark straight ahead. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, do you have an adult child who is breaking your heart? Maybe they were raised in church. They know right and wrong, but they're not living like it. We've got a great guest who's got a book, Adult Children Who Break Your Heart, Bringing Your Prodigal Back to God and Back to You. Yeah, a lot of parents, David, are struggling with this, no doubt. What do we do? I know you're big on having clear communication. Oftentimes, we're so obtuse or ambiguous, uh, we don't even put a Y in the road for our kids to decide what to take. Well, here's what you do. There's some foundational steps. You forgive yourself for your sins as a parent. We all make mistakes. You ask your prodigal to forgive you. Then you forgive your prodigal. Boom, boom, boom. That may take a few months. And then, because all that's cleared away... And you've taken out of the hands of the prodigal what they can use against you. Now you're going to Matthew 18, 15 through 17, your prodigal. That's what the Bible teaches us to do. They are in sin. They're going over a cliff, and now you're going to confront them lovingly but firmly. That, I think, gives us a chance to shake them up and hopefully bring them back to God. Because if they come back to God, they'll come back to you. Okay, let's back up. You have so much good content. I, I feel like we got to retrace tracks here. You're saying take the weapon out of their hands that you've given them. Explain what it looks like to go to a prodigal. Walk us through it. How do we approach that kid? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to write them a letter, 
And if it's two parents, and hopefully you're on the same team, you'll, write, you'll each write a letter. It's not a joint thing. You each write a letter. Okay, here, Timmy, here are the mistakes I feel like I made as a parent. Eyes open, no excuses. Angry, not there, rejected you at times, didn't do well in the teen years, whatever. You lay it out. You ask them to respond, and they'll add, add to this, please, because I'm doing this work on myself. You don't make it about them. Yeah, this is about you. They may have made things up or magnified things you did wrong sure. and using that yes. as a wedge. We're taking that wedge out of their hands by doing it this way. And, of course, biblical anyway. Powerful, yes. And so there's a series of steps. And then you're asking them to do the work of forgiving you. Okay, so whether they do or not, you're done with that step. And then you can pivot. I did my best. I've expressed it. That's in the past. They want it to be in the present always because it's just an excuse for sin. Everybody has to have excuses for sin. Right. Then you're going to go after what they're doing. What are the other steps that we need to know about? Because so so often there's so much guilt. We can forgive ourselves. What about the impact on the rest of the family? A lot of times you got a prodigal. You got other kids who can be easily influenced by the prodigal as well. Boy, you're right on, Allie. This really is a family issue. And so you're going to inform the other kids in the family who hopefully are not prodigals. I know some parents, it's a clean sweep. Yeah. Gosh, talk about heartbreaking. Anyway, but if you've got even one or two that are normal and raised in the same home, this is called leverage biblically and psychologically. <laughs> because, hey, if now you don't ask them to do this, but you'll have to know, here's what mom and I are doing. You know, dad and I, we're, we're following this process. So they're in the loop, not outside of it. If that adult, other adult child chooses to contact the prodigal, super good. That would be great. It would have even more impact than you. So, but we don't ask for that. Some kids will, some kids won't, but they know what's going on. This is also a hedge against one of them turning away from the Lord. Hopefully, if you can catch this early, but uh, yeah, if other kids want to be involved, please do. That's up to you. And you can deny it. You can say, look, I didn't ask because the first call the prodigal makes is to you. Did you ask my brother to call me? And you can say, no, I did not. David, uh, what do parents screw up? What are we doing wrong that we need to get right? There's some key mistakes. If you obsess over this and let, it, and let it ruin your entire life and your marriage, then, you, Corey, you, you've got a real problem. And if you enable, I see enabling all the time. Good people, and I'm, I'm, you're begging, you're pleading, you're, you're, you're saying, oh, please get into these conversations with them. Prodigals love that. They'll continue to blame you. You're making it about you and your mistakes, and I'm so sorry. We've got to so stop right. doing that. I've said this to many prodigals and their parents. You're a grown person. If you're 18, you're an adult. Most of these people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, you're a grown person. You will stand before God one day on your own, and he will not accept, well, my mom did, my father said, that's not going to be on, on the table. So work through those issues on your own. If there was real abuse or problems, okay, fix it, work it through, and then walk with the Lord. David, how important is it for a parent to not let their joy be robbed by their wayward kid, thereby giving them nothing to even be attractive? This is huge, is it not? Oh, man, it is. You need to put that prodigal in their place. It's not your whole life because it could consume you. You have fun with your wife, the wife of your youth. The Bible teaches us that. Ecclesiastes, have fun, and you blow up social media. And if you don't have it, get it. <laughs> and let your prodigal know, we're having fun. We're spending your inheritance, Timmy. Yes. Hey, yes. <laughs> hey, my mother had a famous saying before she passed, the little dog barks, but the caravan moves on. Doggone it, the caravan is moving on, leaving the prodigal in the dust with his sin. Hey, that's the right picture. 
Dr. David Clark, our guest this morning. Best case scenario, you've taken the steps, you're obviously praying, and you get a prodigal who wants to come home. We see a picture of this in Luke 15, and it's beautiful, familiar passage. How do you welcome back a prodigal? You're careful. You meet them at the Starbucks uh, to see if they're truly repentant. Now, we know in the story in the Bible, the, the prodigal was clearly broken, repentant. He had it going on. But prodigals can do fake repentance. And so you meet with them uh, over coffee and you, and you feel them out. Are they really, if they're truly repentant and they're serious, then you will refer them to a pastor that you know and trust for biblical support and accountability and getting back uh, online with Jesus. And then a Christian therapist. You have these people already lined up if we have repentance. And a repentant prodigal will say, yeah, sign me up. Where do I go? They will not fight that. You're right. Someone who's faking it will go, no, I don't want to do that. I just wanted to come home and, and uh, spend some of your money. You know what? No, no. So if they fall through on that and they get their head on straight, because this is a personal problem. It's got nothing to do with the parents. It absolutely doesn't. So when they get fixed up, okay, boom, now we move forward and they're reintroduced to the family and life is good. Have you seen parents follow your plan and see victory? Blue sky. I have. And if even if the prodigal doesn't change, maybe you have to play the long game, you know before God you've done the best you yeah, can do. Yeah, that's and that's right important. On. That's very important because there's no guaranteed outcome. But your uh, your goal is for the parent to say, I've done what I can do. Yeah, right on, Allie. Boom crew, you're ready for this, aren't you? Text the word home to our number right now, home to 312-274-9624. Direct link to David's website. Lots of resources there, but this book included, find it. Adult children who break your heart. Text the word home to 312-274-9624. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Okay, let's do this, guys. What an incredible opportunity. We get to go before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Holy One, the one who writes in Luke 15 that lost people matter to God. Your wayward kids, we're going to pray for taking your first, the first name of your wayward son or daughter. And this is a bold prayer here, guys. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to set it up here. We are praying, even if they go to church, that they would come home to Jesus. We're, we're praying bold prayers here. You get it, Boom Crew. You're believing God with us here today. And uh, God sees your tears. He knows your heart that's being ripped out. And he is passionate to see those children change. We're going to ask that the Spirit of God would move. First name only, just that, no other words, of your children, your children, 312 274 9624. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you with great confidence. We know that you threw the stars into space. We know that you knit together our children in the womb. All the days that were ordained for them, all of them you knew before there was one. And you knew that we would be here today praying for our children. And so, Father, we bring to you today our children. For Justice, Michael, Gabriel, Myra, Wheeler, Whitney, Christia, Crystal, and Taylor, Carl, Charles, and Kiwana, Alex, another Alex and Clayton, for Kim, for Ryan, for Maya, for Ernie, for Boo, for Jen, Kate, Emily, and Joe, Jorge, Daniel, Roger, 
Alyssa, Alyssa, Brianne, Noel, and Roger, Stephanie, Ryan, and Emily, Samantha, Josh, Amanda, Jessica, Alexander, Sela, and John, for Alyssa, Kate, Becca, Brad, Elizabeth, for Rachel, Ethan, Jenna, Ben, Evie, Addie, for Kendall, for Nick, for Brandon, for Jada and Brandon, for Marty, Michael, Garrett, and Brandon, Casey, Brittany, and Patrice, for Jen and Ashley, for Alicia, Alexis, Victoria, Aria, Isabel, and Johannes, for Hank, for Jerry, for Oscar and Alonzo, for Aaron and Clara, for Jillian, scrolling up here, more names for Jeffrey, for Isaac, for Olivia, for Jessica, for Joshua, Nick, Edwin, for Johnny, for Matthew, for Erica, for Zoe, for Hannah, Mercy, Alexandra, Logan, Dami, Audrey, Gavin, William, Caden, Kim, Coleman, for Austin, Stephen, Rachel, Hannah, Jason, Douglas, Jenna, for Serena and Brandon, Clinton, Christopher, Mark, Sunil, Kevin, Maricela, Jamie, Lavina, Chris, Jimmy, Kyle, Jovan, Julius, David, Scott, Sarah, Frank, Michael and Ashley, Luke, Stephanie and Chris, Aiden, Carrie, for Keith and Cameron, John, Kevin, for Corinne and Vince, Aaron, Thomas, Zoe, Maribeth, Christopher, Callie, Lisa, Taid, Brandon, Jeremy, Jessica, Jennifer, Joy, for Reuben, Jasmine, and Michael, Lucas, Tia, for Justin and Cherie, Mario, Mike, Alex, Samuel, Daniel, Conrad, for Peter and Danielle, for Jeremy, for Bennett, for Elena and Alexis, Joseph, Jasleen, and Janice, for Stephen, Andrew, Austin, Andre, Jessica, Selena, Edward, Aaron, Imari, and Alberto, Nick, Scott, Robin, Sean, Corey, Macy, for Keith Jr., for Ari, for Kaylee, for Antonio and Walter, Eddie, Anthony and Jonathan, Angela, Gabriella, Brian, Josh, Luke, Alyssa, Maddie, Sarah and Jessica, Madison, Aaron, Jasmine, Isaiah and Jaden, Brandon and Caitlin, Stephanie, Matt and Maddox, Diane, Caleb, Ryan, Sammy, April, Derek, Julian, Amanda and Tori, Valerie, Evan and Alexis, Jessica and Julia, for Jay, Robert, Carlos, Jordan, Eric, Sean and Alyssa, Pam, Peter, Amy, Mike and Sam, for Nicholas and Asia, Megan, Little Davy, Christian, Bianca and Samantha, Addie and Ellie, Matt and Tim, Rajani, James and Rainika, Jasmine, 
Kaylin, LJ, and Alexis, Becca, Quinn, Rich, Megan, Samuel, Dusty, and Kia, Hannah, Bill, Heather Lynn, Kira, Ulysses, Karime, Cirelli, Sebastian, and Mauricio, for Rachel, for Michael, Steve, Cindy, Candy, Mark, and Matthew, Ricky, Delilah, Felix, and Vanessa, Connor, Linda, Lisa, and Leslie, Colin, Austin, Heather, Catherine, Elizabeth, Samantha, Victoria, Andrew, and Isabel, for Alexis and Selena, Brian, Michael, and Melanie, Jeremy, Miguel, Elizabeth, Alma, Andrew, Alex, Anna, and Eugene, Leah and Joshua, Kristen, Christian and Jocelyn, Gregory Jr. and Glenn, Talisha, Jessica and Matthew, Eric, Cole, Karen and Sherry, Emmanuel and Madison, Leah, Forrest, Ryan Christian and Aaron Christian, Diorje, Sol, Benny, Patrick, Marco and Jesse, Canyon, Michael, Araceli, Victoria and Gloria, Victoria, Tony, Nicole, Andrea and Tim, Kirsten, John and Matt, Joshua, Caleb, Rick, Michael and Miles, Michaela, Malika, Melody and Jonah, Andrew, Angel, Tanya, Joshua and Leonardo, Jeff, Neil and Renee, Christian, Sophia, Kelly and Benjamin, Monica, Manny and Josiah, Brianna and Noah, Maureen and Maria, Christopher, Sarah and Mike, Joseph, Michelle, Nick, Amber and Noah, Craig, Jen and Chad, Dominic, Joshua, Cecilia, Caleb and Noah, Daniel, Joshua, Kyle and Casey, Patrick and Kyle, Caleb, Austin and Jeremiah, Cherie, Jessica, Madison and Marissa, Dylan, Michael, Jamie, Sarai and Saba, Nick, Caitlin, Letitia, Mikey, Benji, Luna, Estrella and Olivia, Hannah, Grace and Sarah, Lindsay and Kayla, Haley, Ashley, Colette, Chloe, Nicolette, Andrew, Priscilla, Carl, Alexis, Ashira, Ashton, Kim, Alexis and Robert Jr., Maya, Khalil, Jahid, Shania, and Justin, Margo and Claire, Terrell, Jason, Dimitri, Heather, Russ, Grayson, Ben, Caleb, Audrey, Taylor, Aaron, Isaiah, Nick, Yessi, Berto, and Victor, Michael, Natalie, Andrea, Nico, Danny, Katie, Eric, Casey, Stephen and JJ, Bella and Nora, Ines, Johnny, Nathan, Berto, Christina, Brant, Colin, Kyle, Michael, and Abby, Idris and Gabriel, Michael and Alex, Lindsay, Tony, Ryan, and Andrea, Martin, Melissa, Jack, Aaron, Kyle, Jake, Ryan, and Lauren, Josh and Jed, Jennifer, Clarice, and Hannah, Josue, Devante, Thomas, Jacob, Anthony, Gabriella, Paul, Makila, oh, Michelle and Parker, Dean, Emma, Jack, Scott, Deshaun, Marie, Amanda, Kiana, Donovan, Imani, Samara, Amaya, James, Marie, Laura Lee, and Karis, Sean and Casey, 
Brian and Brandon, Ariana, Elijah, Logan, Austin, Trevor, Beyonce. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift these children before you. And we ask you that they would be crucified in Christ Jesus. That it would be no longer they who live, but Christ who lives in them. We would ask you to bring them to life. To let them be born again. We ask in the strong name of Jesus that your spirit would go to work in the lives of these precious children that we love. And we pray expectantly. We look down the road and we want to see the day when our kids come home. Yes. Oh, Father, bring them. Not to church first, to yourself. So that the church begins to mean something to them as they've never known it before. Save them through and through. To the uttermost parts of their hearts, save them, Lord. Call them out of darkness. Show them the, the emptiness of their idols. Show them the powerlessness of their false gods. Show them that their substances can satisfy no more. Show them that substitute gods are impotent compared to the one true and living God. And Lord, I thank you that as we pray, you go to work. So God, make us watchful in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, for any names that I missed, Lord, this is an imperfect system trying to get every name in there. But Lord, you know. you know the ones that were texted in that were somehow missed. Lord, let no parent feel discouraged that somehow their child isn't covered in this. Lord, you know every single heart of every parent who texted in the cry of the heart to see their child come home. You know their names. You've counted the number of hairs on their head. Yes. So Lord, for all of the names that were not spoken Lord, cover them as well, and even for those still coming in. Yeah. Jeffrey and Stephanie and Robert and Kyan and Michael and Brittany, we give you praise because our God is at work right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. So many names coming in still. We're going to shout out a few. Know this. God sees. God knows. God hears. He sees your tears, man. He, he understands your broken heart. And we have a God who hung this earth in space, guys. Look at the stars. Look at the, look at the sun as it comes up this morning. Our God is able to change a heart of stone into a heart of clay. He can turn it. He can turn it. So we got a few more names here. Genesis, James, Cassie, Grace, and Dushiant, uh, Kimari, and Kiara, and Sasha. Yeah. And Lord, we just, again, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you, that as we pray for these wayward kids, you're at work. Lord, I pray that we would be expectant and that we would be anticipating that you're going to... Lord, I'm going to pray a bold prayer here over all these names that we've listed today. I pray that you would break them without injuring them. 
but break them. Give them sacred scars that they can look back and be amazed at your grace in their life. Lord, how, how we long for these children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, so much more than church attenders, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, taking hold of your promises, bearing fruit. God, let it be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we are talking about wayward kids all morning. We're going to have time later this morning to pray again, to pray again for some of these precious kids. In fact, there's still names coming in right now. We'll tag right from here. Let's tag right from here, um, Allie, 3947, and pick it up right there, and, or I guess even further down. But yeah. Allie's got a tracker on this thing, guys. We won't miss any names today. We're going to get them, I promise you. And we're going to lift them up before the Lord. We're going to be praying this morning, all morning long for these kiddos. But I want you to know something. Our God is able. If God can save Carl, God can save your kid. I need you to hear me. I believe that 100%. If God can save you, he can save your kid. Remember what he had to save you from, right? You get that, don't you? He can save them. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't let your wayward kids steal your joy. They need to look up the road and see a mom and dad that are just reveling in the grace of God. They need to see that and let it be. Boom Crew, you're taking the reins this week. It's your topics on Carl and Crew Mornings. Hey, it's Carl and Crew Mornings here, helping you take your next step with Jesus. And sometimes, Allie, we don't know where to step, right? <laughs> right. I mean, think about the topics of sexuality that come up often. They feel very hot button. And you talk about gender. You talk about marriage, whether it's between a man yeah. and a woman. All of those things have become, you feel like you're wading through a landmine. And, and even in the evangelical world, there are some that are waving a white flag going, well, we can't fight the tide and love is love. And, and I've had some spirited conversations with other pastors saying, guys, what are we doing here? What's going on? Are we going to hold the flag high? And how do we hold it? Because if there's one thing that we're branded about here, Allie, it's let's not be angry evangelicals. Right. But at the same time, like Francis Schaeffer says, let's not be silent with the truth. Yeah. We got a perfect guy in here right now, Joe, Joe Dallas. Joe, come on in here. How you doing today, Joe? Doing great, Carl. Good to talk with both of you. Thank you. Uh, what a joy to have you with us here. Joe, tell us your story. Well, on the one hand, Carl, I'm uh, one of those sinners saved by grace whose life got interrupted by God when he heard the gospel. Yes, so that's sir. a fairly common story. But I'm also part of that group Paul described when he wrote to Corinth, and he said, look, don't kid yourself. Drunkards, fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals, and others will not inherit the kingdom. Then he added something very hopeful, and such were past yeah. some of you. So even then, Paul was recognizing that within the body of Christ, there were people 
who had at one time engaged in homosexual behavior. And I was one of those as well. I actually was born again in 1971 at Calvary Chapel. It was right at the height of the Jesus yes, movement. Then. Yes. Wow. So obviously I've been thoroughly enjoying the movie. And of all course of you have. Created. But I also became one of those who struggled silently within the church. One of the biggest mistakes I made, Carl, was the mistake of refusing to confess to anybody the temptations that I had. And I resisted those temptations. I mean, they can be very stubborn. When we commit a sexual sin, it's very deeply ingrained in our mind and our soul. But rather than bringing it to the light with another person and getting prayer and good counsel, I basically tried to grit it out on my own for about seven years, and then I finally gave up. Came out as a gay man in 1978 and actually served on staff with a pro-gay church for about six years. So I was very committed not only to the practice of homosexuality, but also to the promotion of it being something God was good with until 1984 when he brought me to repentance. And um, within three years, I had met and married the woman who's been my wife for 36 years now. Wow! And I've had the honor since 1987 of walking alongside different men and women as a biblical counselor who've been caught up in the same thing that I was caught up in. So mm. that's uh, certainly the Cliff Notes version of wow. my story. Wow, what a story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Joe Dallas is an author, conference speaker, ordained pastoral counselor. He's committed to helping people reclaim God's intent for their sexuality. Now, Joe, you mentioned that there was a time when you were bold about proclaiming that homosexuality actually is a part of God's design. What did you see that refuted that? Because that's a common uh, line of thinking, that transgenderism, that there's more than two genders, and that sexuality is more fluid, and that that was God's idea all the time. What do you say to people who use that line of reasoning? I think that is actually an ancient heresy that we call Gnosticism these days. Um, Gnosticism is based on the concept that you can intuitively know by your feelings and your intuition what the truth is rather than by an objective standard. Mm. Because one of the basics of the Gnostic belief is that there is a creator, but he got it wrong. He's kind of messed up. So we need to take the reins and decide for ourselves what we really are. And that's how we've come up with the madness that we're in today, where people think they can simply change their sex, change their gender, redefine marriage. I think if in a nutshell, when cognition and emotion are colliding, Emotion often wins. Yeah. And I think that's why I decided to accept the pro gay interpretation of the Bible. Look, Allie, no reasonable person, whether they're a Christian or not, would read the Bible and say, oh, I think that condones homosexuality. There's no way. But if you want to see within it some kind of uh, permission for homosexuality, You'll find it because, you know, if you torture the Bible hard enough, it'll say what you want it to say. I mean, <laughs> cultists so right. have been doing that for centuries. And mm-hmm. so if you, if you want to just take an ax to the word rather than rightly divide it, that's what you come up with. I read into the Bible what I wanted it to say. And that's why in early 1984, the conviction of the Holy Spirit was just unbearable because the two questions I could not get away from were, one, am I really within the will of God? And two, does it matter? Uh. And I could not square that question, whether or not I was in the will of God, with what I knew the Scripture to be saying. If I was honest with myself, I'd have to say, I never fully believed what I was promoting, but I sure wanted to believe it. Yeah, wow. Joe Dallas, our guest right now, author, conference speaker, ordained pastoral counselor, helping people reclaim their God-created intent 
for their sexuality. Joe, as a pastor, I am dealing with this often, and I'm glad to. But what is it that homosexual emotions, what feeling are they feeling when they say, I love this, a man says, I love this man, a woman says, I love this woman, like I've never loved before. It's, it's hard to argue a person's story when they're in Christ. How do you take on or even engage a person that says, love is love. Don't question what I'm feeling. I don't question what they're feeling, Carl. I think that on the one hand, we can agree that love is love. We will have different ideas of what constitutes godly love versus erotic love or carnal love. But I I believe people when they say, I love this person very (laughs) deeply. The question is, does love alone legitimize a relationship? And I would argue that it does not. I mean, biblically, we can look, for example, at Solomon's love for his wives, and we can see that that human love led him into destruction. We can see that people can love someone other than their spouse. I I think, for example, I'm an old movie nut, so I love the old Spencer Tracy movies. Well, he had a very long-standing relationship with the actress Catherine Hepburn. Tracy was a married man. That relationship was adulterous, even though it's one of the Hollywood legends, the great romance between Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. I think they loved each other very much. That's not the question. Yeah. The question is, is love alone what determines whether a relationship is legitimized? And uh, I would answer that it does not because there is a higher issue at stake, and that is what did our creator intend for the marital and the sexual covenant? And you may love someone outside of that covenant, but that doesn't legitimize engaging in a sexual relationship with them. And I think that's where the problem lies. That's great rationale and reasoning because you can love money, but that leads Mm -hmm. to evil. So love as a pure emotion, sure, you can love almost anything. Coming up, let's tackle this question. I've got a blog pulled up that you wrote, why it's so hard to talk about transgender. So let's tackle this one. Is the concept of gender binary, is there more than two genders? Is that a primary biblical issue that's worth us taking a stand on, an immovable stand on? You wrestled with it in the blog. Let's talk about it coming up. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Joe Dallas with us right now. So is the concept of gender a primary issue worth Christians taking a stand on? Yes, this is not a secondary doctrinal issue that we can just agree to disagree on, Allie. I mean, there are some that I will say, hey, I'm I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to break fellowship over. Good night. Somebody's right about the rapture, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and good men can disagree and good women can disagree. They they really can. I I know my position on it, and it's a position I've held for, for decades. But hey, I, I, there's no way I'm going to break fellowship with somebody outside of that. But the definition of gender sexuality and even the concept of binaries, let's just go back to Genesis 1. That's chock full of binaries, isn't it? God created heaven, earth, land, sea, human, animals, light, dark, male, female. Yeah. The Bible actually commends binaries, and I think it's a sign of the times that one of the most contemptuous things you can believe in is the concept of binaries. 
Now, if I wanted to deceive the human race right out of its existence, I would try to confuse the idea of binaries and have people chipping away at one of the most basic of all human relationships and needs, the sexual union within the covenant of marriage and the procreation and and the rearing of children. So I think that that's what we're seeing is a disfiguring. And I think that this more than ever is the time for the church to be not only doctrinally sound, but prophetically bold. I think that we need to be less afraid to be like wisdom, just saying loudly, hey, this is nuts. And I think you all know it's nuts. So is anybody going to ever say that emperor is strutting around naked? I think at some level, people know if you are male, you continue to be male, no matter what you do to your body. And that is because our inborn, the the sex we were born with is a divine assignment. We are foreknown in the womb. We are foreordained to be male or female. Good grief. It's probably the first thing that was said about you. Yes. (laughs) It's a boy. Yeah. It's a girl. What's the difference between sexual differences versus sexual stereotypes? I think sometimes even in the church, we get a little foggy on this, which actually leads people to other conclusions that are different than the Bible. Talk about the difference that we need to really focus on. Good point, Allie, because I think that we, if we get too much into what you would call gender stereotypes, which are not biblical, then we cause people to doubt whether or not they are truly male or truly female. So, for example, if we tell women, and I'm, I am no feminist, I'm very traditional, but if we tell women, uh, no, your little girl, if she's playing soccer, there's something wrong with her. Right. Or, no, you shouldn't get an advanced degree, or no, you shouldn't be involved in business. Well, then we could cause girls growing up in our churches to think, well, maybe I'm trans, maybe I'm lesbian, maybe I'm bi, maybe there's something wrong with me. I mean, I, I see, for example, that lady in Proverbs that is so highly praised She's a wife and a mother, and she is, on the one hand, the queen of domesticity. But I wouldn't mess with her. (laughs) Her arms are strong. She's a businesswoman. (laughs) She leads people. And and I I look at King David, who, again, not a man I would mess with, but the guy's also a poet and a musician. So I I think it's silly when we say, if you're a guy, you got to be into football, and you got to be rugged, and you got to drive a truck, and you got to have big muscles. And if you're a girl, you need to be a Barbie doll. Now, when we impose that on people, which, again, those are not biblical concepts, we cause them to question their very essence as male or female. And that's when we generate confusion. So we do want to avoid that trap as well. Joe Dallas is our guest right now, author, conference speaker, ordained pastoral counselor. And we are we're going to give you a website here in just a moment. But now I've got to give you the biggest question that we get. One of the this has got to be in the top five for sure. Now, top three. Here it is. Joe, I'm going to ask it for thousands of people right now. My son or daughter is struggling with their sexual identity or their sexual attractions. How do I help them? I love them dearly. Okay, number one, preserve the relationship by making your position clear and unmovable and your interest unmovable as well. Let me explain that. Make your position clear and unmovable. Look. You know in this house we serve the God who created us, male or female, and and this is a position we will not budge from. Nor will, if you're a minor, will we allow you to engage in anything outside of that. But that said, talk to me. How long have you felt this way? Why do you think you feel this way? What has this been like for you? What questions do you have? And I will walk with you 
as you are resisting something that will pull you outside of God's will. And by the way, son or daughter, you ain't talking to no perfect person here. I know what it's like to struggle. I may not know your struggle, but I know struggle. Stuff. So nobody needs to tell me about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Son, daughter, I understand. We understand. And no one is condemning you. No one is going to ostracize you or shame you. But by the same token, our number one desire for you from the time we knew you had been conceived was that you be walking in truth. And we won't settle for anything less. Those are good starting points. (laughs) Joe Dallas, let me tell you something. I got a term for when things are going well. Peel paint. And well, that's, thank a, you. that's an affirmation for what it's worth <laughs> I, there. That's, that's, a, that's a new one. I'm going to let that roll around in my head for a yeah, while. Yeah, you let it roll there. That's a great way to start the day. Carl. I got to tell you, Joe, I love you. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm working with a young man right now who is very artistic, very musically inclined, incredibly creative, shares openly with me that he struggles with his sexuality. I make it a job of mine to hug this guy's neck like there's no tomorrow. Am I crazy? Carl, in the body of Christ, we become to each other what we have needed and what we have tried to satisfy in all of the wrong ways. The major changes that happened in me happened right there in the body because there were men who took me in and loved me as a brother and made me one of the guys. And of course, I gobbled it up. It wasn't anything sexual. It really spoke to the need I had. Sexual sin is the junk food of human relationships. We eat junk food because we're hungry and we're trying to satisfy it in all the wrong ways. In the church, we teach people where the real meal is. The junk food of human relationships? Hmm. Buddy. Okay, get a frequent flyer card stamp for Joe. He's coming on here over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, Joe, you're killing it, man. I just I just praise God for you, brother. Uh, Boom Creator, listen to this guy going, who in the cat hair is this guy? Yeah, you will find lots of resources. He's got a blog. He's got some really great books. One of Five Steps to Breaking Free from Porn. Uh, speaking of homosexuality, lots of great titles that uh, if you want to, want to dig deeper on this topic, just go to joedallas.com, joedallas.com. Helping you start your day off right. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. April 15th, 1892, Corey Tinboom was born in the Netherlands. She was born into an amazing home. If you're in the Dutch Reformed Church, you know the name Corey Tinboom. She's one of your heroes for sure, but she's one of mine as well. And after watching a special last night with my bride on Amazon Prime, I'm like, wow, what an amazing woman of God. So I just want to give you a quick shot overview because sometimes it's good to get the history of these great saints that have gone before us. She was born, yeah, April 15th, 1892. She actually died April 15th, 1983 in Southern California at the age of 91. On her birthday. Yeah, on her birthday. On her birthday. And the last five years she struggled with a stroke and so she wasn't able to speak or write But the caregiver that had been riding with her for a lot of years, going around the world speaking, oh, my goodness, she said you could see her deep connection with the Father, and she suffered gracefully. She's an amazing woman. But Corey Tinboom was minding her own business, doing watchmaking, actually had a broken heart. She was really in love with the guy, and he was in love with her, but society didn't say that she was at the level of her, his family. 
So this guy's mom said, you can't be marrying Corey. Wow. Next thing Corey knows is he comes by her home. Probably didn't probably wanted her to see it firsthand, but introduces Corey to his fiance. Her heart was broken, ripped out. Corey's daddy, Casper Ten Boom. Great dude, man. The pictures of this guy is you guys with beards now think you had a beard. You got nothing. You got nothing on Casper Ten Boom. <laughs> but Casper Ten Boom, who was a watchmaker there in the Netherlands, he uh, he looked at Corey and he says, "You know what, Corey? Love is a powerful thing." And he says, "You you've got to direct that love somewhere." And she got on her knees that day and she resolved, "I give you my life, God. You receive my love." I am your servant the rest of your life, my life. She never married, but boy, did God use her. Quick overview of her, of her story is that, so she was born in 1892, World War II. The Germans invaded the Netherlands in 1940. So she would have been 48 years old when the Nazis came knocking. It changed everything globally, but especially in the Netherlands. Overnight, everything was changed. There was an incident that came along that really rocked her world. She and her daddy sat down and started hearing of the persecution of the Jews in her hometown and started seeing it firsthand. And they're like, what do we do? We're supposed to honor these governing authorities. And now we've got these, this new regime that is set up in our country. What do we do? There was one event that proved to her that we've got to join the resistance. We've got to join the Dutch underground. And it's that story that's one of the most amazing stories going. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. Corey Tinboom was... 48 years old, when the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, everything changed, boom, overnight. No one could have imagined this was going to happen. And yet, boy, when they came, they came with thunder, and they came to persecute Jews. And she was faced with a biblical moral dilemma. What do we do? She ultimately joined the Dutch resistance, the underground movement, and it was an amazing movement. She became actually one of the superstars of this movement. But what in the world would cause this girl and her father to join this underground movement? Well, they got word that there was routine persecution of Jews going on, but they got still word that one of the most horrific things was about to happen. There were 100 Jewish babies in an orphanage. And they were going to exterminate these kids. Now, these are kids whose parents had already been hauled away. And they were going to kill these babies. Horrifying. They were going to kill horrifying. these babies. Corey Tinboom, uh, the, the person that was really her caregiver and her assistant for many years in the last couple, three decades of her life when she traveled around the United States speaking, uh, retells the story as it was told to her by Corey, there were a lot of Nazis that did not buy into Hitler. Some of them thought he was straight up crazy. You got to remember that, guys. This guy had people terrified. Yeah. But even those that were wearing the uniform were scared to death. 
and there were some sympathizers. Well, as the story goes, they found a few uniforms of Nazi soldiers that were handed to them. So her brother and some of the resistance crowd got these uniforms in hand and they went in under the dark of night and they went into this orphanage with 100 Jewish babies and they stole them before they wow. could be killed. Wow. <laughs> and they took them. They took them and smuggled them to safety. This is real, not a movie. This is 100 babies. 100 babies. 100 babies. Well, the story goes on, and they had a a unique home life there in that the watch shop in the Netherlands where she was raised was on the ground floor. There were two floors above it. They took in a couple elderly ants, and so they bought another adjoining building, but that was a couple hundred years older, and it only had two stories in the same ultimate roof height. So they bought the alley in between, and they tried to join those buildings together, and when they joined them up, it was so confusing with levels. It made a perfect place to hide out Jewish people oh, that sure. were running for their lives. Crannies and tunnels <laughs> and things like that and secret places for sure. God used it. So they had a really cool plan in place during the day. Even uh, they would smuggle some of the, those Jewish survivors up to the rooftop and they would put hay bales around them to kind of guard them. Because if they stayed low, they could go out there and get some sunshine and no one would see them. Okay. But at night, they would come in, and they had a buzzer system that they had practiced over and over again, and then one fateful night, they needed it. Man. A guy came. He was a Dutch man, and he came. He was obviously a Nazi sympathizer, and he came, rang the doorbell. Corey opened the door. The guy gave this big old lie to her and said, look, my wife's down at the police precinct. I've got a sympathetic Nazi. If you give me 500 basically dollars I can get her out. She gave some money, thereby confirming that she was in the underground. Yes. He goes back, tells the Nazis, I've got information for you. There was a knock at the door later on that evening, and when her sister Betsy opened the door, boom, it exploded. The Nazis raided the home. Betsy was able to push the buzzer. And it signaled to everyone in the home, get to your hiding place. They had practiced this, but now it was for real. Corey was up in her bed, not feeling good that night. They estimated they had one minute to get hidden out. The Nazis were storming the home, but they were all confused by the stairs. So it took them a few extra seconds. By the time they got to Corey's room, there was a brick wall. And behind that brick wall was space for a good number of Jewish people. They had crawled down low through a linen cabinet, got in behind a trap door, got in behind that brick wall, and they obviously would have heard those Nazis in there interrogating yeah, Corey. Right. She was interrogated, but she didn't, she didn't give them up. They hauled her to a police station. And her daddy, Casper, he died 10 days later because of the abuse. Betsy and Corey were actually hauled away to a concentration camp being sympathizers with the Jewish people. They were treated horrifically. They were handled by a woman at uh, one camp in particular, ultimately hauled off to Germany into really a torture camp that would ultimately be a gas chamber in the death of all those prisoners. 
And Corey didn't speak of details with regard to the torture, but you can only imagine. She said the most humiliating, humbling time ever was when she looked at her sister Betsy and they stood in the courtyard absolutely naked before all the guards being searched. She looked at Betsy and she said, Betsy, I've never been more humiliated or scared or cold. And Betsy says, our strength is in the Lord. Corey, let's seek his face. That's faith. That's faith. They both survived sometime. Betsy soon got a horrible illness. The barracks that they were held in was designed for 200 women. They had 700 women crammed in there. The grace of God is that they were able to hold Bible studies twice a day because the lice were so bad in that barracks, the guards didn't want to come in. They just threw food to them and let them be. So Corey would hold court with Bible studies and praise sessions for 700 women. Wow. Wow. Through a clerical error, Boom Crew, a clerical error. I've got air quotes there. Corey got called into headquarters at this concentration camp, which was really just a death camp. Routinely, men and women were either shot or hauled off to what they said was the showers and then gassed to death. Word came back that it's not showers, guys. Corey got hauled in and they said, "Uh, here's your papers for the release. She was utterly shocked, didn't open her mouth, didn't question it for sure. Betsy had just died. Too much exposure, too much sickness. Betsy had predicted and prophesied over Corey that they would be released. And ultimately, Corey believes that Betsy saw her release. And Corey Tin Boom walked out of that concentration camp that day. The next week, every woman her age was hauled to the showers to be gassed to death. But for some reason, Corey Tin Boom was freed. The war ended, and she was free to tell her story. She traveled throughout the world in the United States. The audio of her messages are just flat-out amazing, guys. The faith and the richness and the sweetness of her spirit revealed that she had a hiding place in her home, but she had a hiding place in her heart, and God resided there. Corey Ten Boom lived 91 years, passed away in Southern California, but left behind an incredible legacy of faith. And sometimes when you look around in this world today, you say, oh, the wheels are coming off this thing. Oh, the wheels have been coming off in many times, many places. But if God's the God of them, we can make it. Corey Ten Boom, what a hero. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.